0: Welcome to Sound & Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound & Vision, Brian Alfred. Glenn Goldberg is an artist who was born in the Bronx, studied at the New York Studio School, and received an MFA from Queens College. He was named the 1996 Heilman Artist and has received grants from the National Endowment of the Arts and the Guggenheim Foundation. He's had solo shows at Betty Cunningham in New York, Willard Gallery in New York, Greenberg Gallery in St. Louis, Barbara Krakow Gallery in Boston, and Gallery Albrecht in Munich. His work has been included in group exhibitions at Castelli, Harvard University, and Jeffrey Hoffield Gallery. Glenn's work is held in numerous collections including the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the National Academy of Arts and Letters, the Brooklyn Museum of Art, the National Gallery of Art, and the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles. I met up with Glenn in his studio around the corner from my own in East Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and we spoke about his growing up in New York City, soul jazz, ceramics, his painting and artwork, and a whole lot more. Here's our conversation. Why don't we, why don't we start off by talking about um, your history and uh you grew up in New York, right? Yeah, I grew up in the Bronx. In the Bronx? Yeah. And um when when did you first find art in your life? I think I
1: found it initially when I dropped out of college actually. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really doing any art in high school. As a kid I wasn't doing any. I would my uh art experience as a young kid was probably just taking silly putty and you know, printing off of the Sunday color comics. Mm -hmm. You know, it it, it was really um, nothing going on besides having a little bit of fun. In high school, same thing, just playing ball, hanging out with my friends, um, a school that wasn't particularly challenging academically, getting good grades, and um, no art yet. Um, Playing some music, though. There, There was a guy from the neighborhood, few guys, but one main guy, um, my dear friend David Gonzalez, he was playing a lot of music. So I would find myself in his basement sometimes playing music. And so that kind of started off in terms of just like the general art music world, um, but no visual art yet. And that happened a bit in college. I took a class or two. Then when I dropped out of college for a while I was traveling um across Canada hitchhiking mm-hmm. up into Canada across Canada down back into the states then out west I started to draw just you know what you were seeing not or so much what I was seeing I was doing these sort of um somewhat drug induced you know rapidograph colorful you know um I guess, extreme doodles, you know. And then when I got back to college, I um, started to take some classes again and realize, wow, you know, I'm not really running on much here. I didn't know much about history and didn't have any training. So that's where it sort of started, sort of of the middle end of college, and then it went on from there.
0: Yeah. Was that trip, like, the sort of drive across the, the country to see the landscape? Did you have a copy of On the Road? And, you know, <laughs> I didn't have a copy of it, but I was familiar with,
1: with all those guys. Um, truthfully, it was, it was like a delayed response. When I was an adolescent, my parents split. Mm-hmm. My father and mom split. I, I didn't really see much of my dad. You know, I was still kind of hurting. It was pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom fell in love with a, a, another man from the neighborhood You know, there was a lot as I got older to to really glean from it. But at the time, it was pretty pretty intense. So I think it was the way I understand it, which is, of course, who knows, but it was a delayed response, and I just needed to get out. I wasn't really studying um, much in college. You know, there was a lot of um, unrest on campuses then. It was Mm -hmm. the Vietnam days. It was drugs, music, sex, you know. Um, civil rights, you know, a lot of stuff was going on. So I wasn't really doing much in school other than those kinds of things. So I, I just said, you know, let me let me get out of here for a while and um, be by myself and kind of just see things. So yeah. Was, was, more, yeah. was
0: music an escape for you back then? Like when you were growing up, was music in the house, or how did you kind of yeah. get exposed to that stuff?
1: Yeah, both my mom and dad, but probably my dad more were... Um, big band jazz kind of people. Yeah. You know, so my dad introduced me to not just household names, you know, like Ella and Sarah Vaughan and mm-hmm. you know, but also some other second tier, you know, like also known people like Joe Williams or Billy Eckstein yeah. or you know, um lots of folks um and then I started to continue to listen to jazz on my own and mm-hmm. blues R and B jazz. It's not simply that But um, that's what's gone on, you know, since. But, you know, those days were rock and folk and, you know, just amazing free concerts all over the place. So music was kind of um, around, you know, but basically I grew up with it. What instrument did you play or did
0: you start with?
1: Um, I started with the guitar. Mm -hmm. This friend of mine, he, he had guitars and amps and stuff, so we used to mess around in his basement, and then I dabbled with the flute for a while, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I like making sound, whether I'm proficient at it or not, you mm-hmm. know, so if there's something that makes sounds, I'll try to do it, but most mostly guitar
0: has been what I've played, yeah. you know, yeah. And when you were jamming with your friend, was, that, was it in the more rock vein, or was it more jazz stuff?
1: It was... A combination of both, yeah. you know, I mean, because he was um, moving along. Yeah, he ended up becoming a performer, musician, storyteller. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was messing around, you know, with distortion on the amp. You know, we were kids, you know, rock stuff. And, and then he started to get involved in more sophisticated kind of jazz, started studying and learned how to read. And, you know, he was, I never learned how to read. He's in a whole different place than me, but he started his path of, more study and sophistication, but it, it was all in there together, actually. And what you
0: know. year, what years was that, roughly?
1: That was, I would say, late 60s. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the jazz stuff was getting pretty out at that point. Well, there was some progressive stuff going on. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, this particular friend, he 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 turned me on to like Chick Corea and, yeah. you know. Weather Report. Yeah, yeah exactly. All that know. stuff. But before that, it was... Um, you know ballads and standards mm-hmm. and that's how he came up he used to love Wes montgomery and kenny burrell and you know a bunch of different kind of you know sanctioned high level guitar players grant and then, green yeah grant green one right. of the best yeah exactly yeah you know and, and um so yeah i, I sort of didn't learn a lot of things through him and then just kept on going yeah yeah
0: yeah so when you were in college and you came back from that trip you started taking art a little more serious, or you you dove into it a little more than you?
1: Yeah. I, w- I was at Queens College, and I would say across the board, all the professors there were working artists mm-hmm. and very serious about it, and the kind of people that were very generous um, before people started to think about careers, really. They weren't really talking about any of that. They were just dragging us all to museums and carrying literally three, four you know coffee table books every week and looking at pictures together and um so yeah I mean I immediately knew like wow talking to us about structure and you know not so much content you know back in those days but basically rudiments of how drawings, paintings, sculptures get built and Mm -hmm. language stuff you know and and and, uh yeah I was fortunate I mean any of us who have had great teachers are extremely fortunate I had very um very strong teachers. Yeah, yeah, it
0: really motivates. And you're in an environment where the museums are all in your backyard, basically. You know, yeah. were there some early shows or artists that you saw their work that blew you away, or that had like that kind of deep impact?
1: You know? Yeah. When I was a student, I headed towards Corot mm-hmm. and Morandi, mm-hmm. and um, Chardin, a bit. Then I sort of got more interested in Leger and, you know, people who became sort of style, mm-hmm. you know, leaders in a way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but initially I was interested in intimate, kind of creamy paintings. Yeah, you those
0: Mirandi still lives. Yeah. The palette is so unlike anything else. You yeah.
1: Know. You know, like, um, but I was. It was all European, pretty much my training. Yeah. And then it parlayed into like 40s, 50s ABEX work, all pre 60s. Mm-hmm. Pop was sort of a dividing line for all the people that I was studying with. They uh, didn't talk about it, didn't see I that was going to say,
0: what was the Warhol attitude at that time?
1: Yeah. Well, with my teachers, the Warhol attitude was either not discussed, not mm-hmm. used as an example, or um, disdain. You know, so yeah. so it was all pre 60s um, work, yeah. you know that I was exposed to, right. which was
0: great and limited at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And what wh- I mean, did you engage at all in the galleries? Were you going to any gallery shows, or was it more museums?
1: With with teachers, it was pretty much museum oriented. But I was bouncing around, you know, and um, started to see things and was interested in things that were outside of my what I was being taught, you know. I don't remember the years. This this is getting later, but 70s, you know, I started to um, look at some of the main people in the 70s, you know, and what they were doing, both um, not just minimal artists, but poetic sort of um, sculpture and Mm -hmm. painting, you know, Judd, Flavin, you know, Mary Miss, Acock, you know, Meg Webster, you know. I was interested in all of them, like like sort of pairing intellect and poetic interest and language mm-hmm. proficiency, I guess I would say, and then um, and then painting-wise, I was interested in Castelli and Boone and you know what they were up to in the uh, 80s, yeah. you know, late 70s, early 80s, and started to infiltrate my training and add to it, and you know, as you know, send me off my own way. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Were you back at that time that you were looking at Judd and, and artists like that, were you aware of those early Joe Bear paintings?
1: Yeah. Not not well, but Joe Bear paintings were, yeah. Um, I'm always they, they came in through a side door in a way because, yeah, it wasn't like household name yeah. stuff, but yeah. Definitely. But it was amazing. Yeah.
0: And, and she was showing in some group shows with some of those big name people, yeah. but... That yeah. work I feel like was really, you know how there's sometimes on that, like you were talking about the second tier of artists, like yeah. there's the really famous people and then the people around that, like with yeah. pop or whatever it is. Yeah, I feel like she was one of those. Some of that work to me is more interesting and retro. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And her work, I can't you know ever get over those early sculptural paintings where she hung them low and yeah. was painting around the sides and just yeah. seemed real.
1: Yeah. Like, radical. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Radical and. Fully felt and yeah, yeah. That that sort of mixture of what we could say is sort of radical intellect, instinctual, and also like feeling based is kind of a beautiful really sort is. of arena that sometimes gets polarized in one direction or the other. Yeah. But I was just thinking about like the world is kind of brutal as we know, but you know at times I was thinking about like what people could think of as second tier, which they're not. You know, musicians right. too. Like, like Hank Mobley or Lee Morgan or, oh yeah, you know Woody Shaw or, God if they're know, second tier yeah no exactly <laughs> right but you know people that jazz yeah, yeah. folks I may not have ever heard of yeah yeah, yeah right. definitely yeah
0: yeah, and that stuff yeah. I feel like sometimes they have a little more license to free up or there there's the, the people who are garnering a lot of the spotlight yeah there's probably a pressure I like I'm so. in the spotlight I'm going to do my Kenny Burrell thing yeah. Or, you know, but then you have people like John Patton, who mm. I think mm-hmm. like his mm-hmm. music is amazing and it's just it got freer quicker and he was able to push the organ in a different way than yeah. other people. So yeah. yeah, that that kind of right yeah, I don't want to call it second tier, but you know, that, that kind of out, outside the spotlight, those yeah. people can do some really amazing things. And I think a lot of times the benefit of time really lets you see that work. Yeah, you know, in a different way, and I often talk about John Wesley as being one of those people that like over. Mm. I mean, I don't know what it was like back then, but Mm -hmm. it seems like he was overlooked a bit back then, and now people really appreciate that work because it's it's like pop, but it's weird. Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like that weirdness. It's like you can't imagine that back then. You know, like a guy in his underwear chasing a goose. You know, like in a show. Like what people must have. (laughs) Yeah. Right. A little ahead of his time. Yeah.
1: Extreme, yeah. But that thing you're talking about is poignant, you know. The Because um, I remember, you. I'm sure you may or not, you're younger, but, um, you know, people used to be highly critical of Miles Davis when he changed, like, the music that he played as if he sold out. Or, right. Or same with, like, George Benson. You yeah. know, like, oh, George Benson, the great jazz guitar player, is now, like, singing and, and making pop tunes. Herbie. You know? Yeah, right just really kind of unfair and unfortunate because as we know as artists you know if you're lucky to give way to your instincts things will move and change and life is rich and you know I guess I guess world pressure does have an effect on one's ability to to, to do that you it does know? Yeah. yeah
0: and yeah. it takes a lot of backbone to just, yeah. just keep pushing you know yeah. I mean Picasso probably mm. I don't know what the reaction to his work as he changed was but he right. wasn't afraid to make changes yeah. and people did not like those Warhol in the 80s mm-hmm. I mean they weren't into those Basquiat paintings I think right. right wasn't he they were kind of like why is he collaborating with Warhol yeah. you know exciting young artist with this washed up guy you know. <laughs> but right. I mean he was you know I feel like Warhol always was changing things in his work mm-hmm. that maybe at the time didn't yeah. seem like a big shift but now you know the early work to the later work is such a huge mm-hmm. jump in a way
1: yeah, I, th- I think with warhol everyone well this is probably with all of us gets to sort of bogged down in personalities and things but I think if you look at warhol's work mm-hmm. right and sort of forget the personality and you know all the myths about him and you know um, how people sort of identify him you might change your mind
0: yeah you definitely. know yeah. Ma-
1: amazing works you know I mean that's the way I see it you know right.
0: an advantage if you didn't like, if you weren't aware of it, weren't in the scene at that time, like, I come to it after the fact.
1: Yeah,
0: right. was, I'm from Pittsburgh, though. I always saw Warhol. Mm-hmm. Like, visually, right. I knew his work, but... I he's didn't know from that st- area, right? Yeah, he's from yeah. Pittsburgh. I didn't yeah. know the story, though, you know, right. or the perception until I got older. Yeah. But you look at those suicide paintings, or, yeah. you know, those, those death paintings. Death and disaster. Oh, yeah. man. Right. I mean... Yeah. And then the early drawings. I was just at the Warhol. I think it was like a a year ago and there was a, a show of all his early drawings that he used that technique where he would blot the paper like he would draw and then sort of like it was almost like printmaking, but he would just mm. press that tracing paper onto the paper. Uh-huh. There's a name for it, I forget what it is. But yeah. beautiful line work. Yeah. And like he had that ability, but he was yeah. just interested in pushing it in a different direction. But yeah, the lure becomes bigger than the work sometimes, which is
1: unfortunate. It, it can happen, you know, all sorts of things get projected onto somebody's worth Based on other, other things. But Mm -hmm. years ago, the Gray Art Gallery had this show of Warhol, you know, and a lot of it were things that he made early on, and you know, like he'd cut. I don't know if it was exactly this, but essentially, I remember he would cut like you know erasers up and hand print things, and you know, do sort of textile type of Mm -hmm. works and things. You know, all very raw and you know, full of feeling and things. And I don't think that ever stopped for him i just think people got this idea that he was some demonic
0: you know playing the system.
1: insincere guy getting right. over on the world
0: yeah i don't know yeah <laughs> i think he just got really into the idea of celebrity and was just mm-hmm. yeah mimicking it for critique's sake you know but the work is the most important thing and that's what was you know that's what we're left with really at the end of the day yeah
1: I mean, we might agree that there's a lot of folks invested in the idea of celebrity, right? Yeah. That that may not appear to be. Right. You know, that's a complicated conversation. Yeah. You know, what what we think celebrity looks
0: like. Right. Right. And how it's shifted in the last however many years, too, with, you know, the way information has shifted and visual, the way visual communication has changed. Yeah. It's a big jump. There's so a lot of
1: Bohemian celebrities, I guess I would yeah, say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you went to grad school after undergrad, right? I
1: did. I did went, you go
0: did you take a break in between?
1: I did. In between undergrad and grad school I worked for like cosmetic companies. Um, I was doing this process called hot stamping for like Elizabeth Arden and Estee Lauder and what's Re- hot, Revlon. What, what's that? Hot stamping is the simple way to explain it is it's a it's a hand press where there's um, steel. And basically you glue a plate up to the top of it and then you pull down a lever and it meets um, the bottom where there's a sheet of some form of paper and there's foils in between. Mm-hmm. And there's a temperature gauge on the um, press. So what you would do manually is you would it's fairly complicated you would have to know what temperature different foils sort of burn at Mm -hmm. and then um you would print you know that way and um and it was complicated because sometimes you'd have to mix colors and the colors may um burn at different temperatures you know and we were doing blind embossings you know so those nice little things that you see on whatever lipstick or perfume bottles we were sort of um, making the comps as they were called for Mm -hmm. those companies and it was a crazy job i mean i had this boss who was um really out of his mind but but very demanding so i learned things but every it was just two of us in there there was myself and this guy matt de and we worked for a guy named Edgar Wisdom it was called Wisder, Wisdom Associates yeah right. <laughs> that does not sound real <laughs> it was real though yeah. if you were there it was yeah. all too real and this is in the city <laughs> yeah this was like right in a hub of you know Madison Avenue like yeah. in the 50s on Madison and um, anyway the guy was incredibly um, good self-made He used to be a silk screener mm-hmm. he blew out his nose with lacquer and stuff and Fell asleep for like ten minutes midday and would pop up like full of energy. He was he was a beast, you know. Yeah. And if things weren't lined up right, or if there were anything wrong with it, he he would get demonstrably very upset and angry. And you know, it was a tense environment. But you know, it sort of helped my eye, mm-hmm. and also helped me mix some colors. And you know, it was and we made cool things. Yeah. We, we made a lot of boxes. You know, we'd cut out the boxes. And he was a tyrant, but. I learned a
0: lot. You <laughs> learned how to work under pressure. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah.
1: There was no way to hide either. There were two presses. I had one, Matt had the other, and there was our
0: taskmaster. It was was it <laughs> a small <laughs> space? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And we had to have two sets of clothes, basically, because we also had to deliver these things up to, I think it was seven twenty-four Fifth Fifth Avenue or something. Mm-hmm. Some, some big, you know, sort of fancy building that all the designers worked mm-hmm. at. So we'd have to then... Um, you know put on a shirt and tie and go deliver it to them it was it was crazy time presentation
0: wear exactly <laughs> yeah so
1: we were the guys making a thing and delivering it and it was it's was kind of
0: cool how know? long did you have that gig i think
1: i had that for maybe a year and a half two years mm-hmm. you know and then i had different jobs i had a job at the village gate which is now gone which was a great jazz club yep. you know probably the worst waiter in history but I heard great music you know like Blakey was there all the time and Woody Shaw and Phyllis Hyman and you know all sorts of people coming through so that was a job I I delivered uh, newspapers for interview magazine Mm -hmm. Um, you know did a little bit of steam fitting work I was just bouncing around doing whatever I could to keep money coming through and then I went back to grad school Um, actually in between I went to the studio school to, to to uh tell it correctly i was at the studio school for a year in the summer art school on 8th street yeah and then i went to queen's college again for to study painting um i really didn't study much of it in undergrad Mm -hmm. yeah
0: so you just felt like you wanted more time to to work when you were working those jobs were you working on your own stuff at the time
1: yeah i had a little basement studio in the west village on bethune street oh wow very small very cheap um weren't far from the jazz clubs yeah. From the underground, you know, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, I was living with, we weren't married yet, but I was living with my wife on the 38th and Lex. And at that point, when I had the studio, I think I was doing some of that steam fitting work. And um, and I'd go to the studio every day after work. I'd work from like 7 to 3, mm-hmm. then go to the studio and, and then, yeah, went back to school. And,
0: yeah, That's good. That's yeah. like, you know, hard was, days work. Go home, make your work?
1: Yeah, it's always been that way. I mean, I've been blessed with uh, a a good work ethic. Yeah. Still, still teach a ton and make work and, you know, always something to do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is that that the parent? I mean, I feel like I got kind of the blue collar thing from my parents. Mm. I think I might have gotten it there or just from the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, growing up in the city, I can't imagine growing up in the city then. You know what I mean? Mm. It must have been a lot different of a vibe.
1: <laughs> well, growing up in the get Bronx, smart, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different than growing up in the city, but related. Um, yeah, it was. It was all local. It was all neighborhood stuff. You know, mm-hmm. not a lot of people were getting out of the neighborhood. You know, to either do anything or a lot never even left. You know, so it was all about. You know, growing up, it was a it was a blue collar, you know. People went to work every day. It was a lower middle class um, neighborhood yeah. called Parkchester, up by Brooklyn Boulevard, and yeah, everybody's parents were working. So I guess that was the model. Yeah, you know, you work. You know,
0: it's funny because you think growing up in the city or anywhere near in the boroughs that you're always going to be in Manhattan or you're going to be moving around because as an adult it's so easy you go all over the place. But I'm sure as a kid. Your little pocket is kind of like your world, in a way. Yeah. And you don't really... Aren't going all over the place. Yeah. Know? I mean... So, the trip to the museum was kind of a big field trip, in a way. Not yeah. just what we would think of it as now. It's like, I'm going to hop on the train and go check out MoMA for half the day and come back. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I don't remember very many trips when I was going to public school or junior high school, you know, or even high school. It was all pretty local. Yeah. You know, I was... Uh, decent kids, so I would do my homework and stuff, but when I'd get home from school, I would jump out to the corner. You know, there was this place, Jack's Luncheonette, where everybody Mm -hmm. hung out. We'd all meet. There was a little park there where we all would play ball. You know, whatever. Have a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Real straightforward anywhere USA kind of American stuff. You know, that's what everybody was doing in my crowd. They were going to school, playing ball, and you know petty right. truthfully petty thieves yeah yeah <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> stealing stuff from a store or right you know but nothing too bad but it was in the air you know yeah
0: yeah so it's uh, it's a much different time I mean what so when you got out of graduate school at that point did you kind of have the initiative you're like okay now I, I want to you know devote as much time to the studio as possible and start sharing the work or was it more you were still in a mode where I'm just doing my thing I was
1: I was really into making work you know and I didn't really have a guidebook or any real at that point examples of people who were out in the world you know and I I ended up meeting someone through playing softball in Central Park you know I used to play in these leagues you know one league was a YMCA league out in Queens and another was a Sunday morning league in Central Park and I I was on first base, I was running, and the first baseman asked me, what do you do? You mm-hmm. know, just chit-chat in between pitches or something. I said, oh, I'm an artist. I said, how about you? He said, oh, so am I. <laughs> and and uh, we visited each other's studios, and it ended up being someone who was actually out there and, you know, opened up my eyes, you yeah. know, and someone who was showing and was more ambitious than me. So, And he sort of introduced me to a couple of people, so it was a, it was very um, fortunate that I, that I sort of got my start without having to go out and um, look for it. Right. You know.
0: It happened at first base. Yeah. I mean, what are Strange. the chances? <laughs> you yeah, know,
1: yeah. I mean, life is crazy. So everybody's path to hopefully getting out in the world and sharing their work is different. But yeah, uh, I think it's probably more typical that someone's just hawking their wares or trying to network or met someone at school, mm-hmm. you know. But this was a funny funny way for it to begin. Yeah, yeah. but you
0: need that kind of um, experience or just that moment where you're like, oh, you can do this? Like, yeah. know, this is what you can right devote your life to or devote all your time to and actually, yeah. you know, do that. And I'm, at that point, I'm sure it was a lot less... Now, I mean, it's a little more careerist than sure. well, everything is. Yeah, yeah. And I think mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, the Internet, you just have everything... Any information you want about anything, you can pretty much type it in and get it. So, yeah. But back then, you didn't have that. You know, you kind of go yeah. on lore or what people tell you, or, you know, oh, yeah, you're supposed to go to graduate school after undergraduate right. school. Which ones do I go to? You know, sure. These ones are good. That yeah. was literally my, you know, my options were like asking a couple of teachers, well, yeah, it'd be good to, to go for a couple mm-hmm. more years and get better. and. Right. Well, what were. How do I do Where it? Where can I do that? Yeah, right. what what do I do? You know, yeah. there's no internet to tell you, okay, here's your application. What you, right. you talk to a teacher and That's it's like, true. These are good schools. Yeah. You there know? was no
1: list that said ten best art schools in America or no. anything. No, it's I true. Don't. It was all word of mouth. Yeah. It was and the other thing you're right, there there was a whole lot less information. And again back to when I was a kid, I was sort of raised in an environment of, you know, anti achievement, mm-hmm. right? You know, anti establishment. You know, forget forget all that. You know, it was it some was, um, some degree of rebellion and and love. You know, a combination of mm-hmm. no, we're not going that way, and freedom. You know, and a, whatever acid and Timothy Leary and you know. So that combination of lack of information and and um, not really being on an achievement trajectory um, kept it pretty much focused on making the work. But, but, yeah, I mean, fortunately, we all meet other people that we're interested in and there's some level of mutual interest and mutual respect and people help each other out, you know, and uh, introduce each other. There's always people that, you know, say, hey, this is somebody whose work you need to look at. You know, that's always been going on. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... But you're right. I had no idea then that I would be, like, Making work for all these decades and become a professor, you know, right. I had no real vision about any of that. I think now younger artists do have a vision that, one, it's possible, two, more awareness of how it might, you know, be be to try to, you know, negotiate. You know, there's a lot more, um, for better and for worse, you know, there's more anxiety but more yeah. information that that young artists feel even while they're in school, you're already thinking about okay, how do I start making moves? Right. You know, so it's it's much it, in a way I think it's more complicated now for sure.
0: Yeah. You know. For sure.
1: And more, um, more. What's the word? More
0: populated. Mm-hmm.
1: You know. Definitely. Well, yeah.
0: how many galleries were there in the city when you started go going to see work? When you're like, oh, I'm gonna check out these art galleries. How many galleries are there today? You know? Yeah. Right. and then the competition and then the yeah. getting the word but the, the irony is is back like that mentality that you're talking about which I didn't really live through I was too young but sure. you know my parents went through that time period of of kind of like it's almost like rebellion or anti-establishment is the norm like that's yeah. that's what you're supposed to sure think. that's right. the mentality yeah the accepted mentality right. of that time exactly like now it's like as normal as possible yeah. as far as as far as you know which seems antithetical in some way to making art yeah because a lo- it doesn't have to be but a lot mm-hmm. of art's roots are in it's like acting against something or mm-hmm. you know kind of talking about the world it doesn't have to be but i think it it's a flip from what it used to be and you know yeah. like you're saying like you know making art at that time period there's just probably more of a freedom in a way of just, but then, but then the Canon was a little more constricted too. So it's, yeah, it's this exactly. weird shift right. where now it feels like anything goes. Yeah. And yet you're supposed to be a little less flamboyant or, you know, kind of like anti-establishment or mm-hmm. it's almost like there's a normalization, but an opening up at the same time. It's yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, I think it's, all pretty fascinating. It is. You're right though. It's it's um it was more limited, it was smaller, you know, and now it's it's the demands are always there, but now it's sort of like very provocatively messy and you know, jeez, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's so much going on in in so many different areas and it's it's um it's so I don't mean it in a negative way, but it's sort of apocalyptic, you know, mm-hmm. like what people are doing and and the wide range of it is is wild. Yeah, right. wild would be a better way to put it. Yeah, like
0: I think, the Wild West in a way.
1: Yeah, like the linearity, no longer seems to be uh, working so well. Right. Like we could track history almost. It's, it's 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 completely as we know like fabricated. But we there were ways to track history, and now I'm not so sure it's so um, easy. Yeah. You know, and so I it's love broken wide open. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah and it's completely reflected in any microcosm like if you think about music mm. and how there used to be a linearity to the progression of music yeah. and there would be albums where yeah. there's a linearity of the songs that move through the al- now it's just everything all at once mm-hmm. with the push of a button mm-hmm. and it can just shuffle and recommend and you know yeah. like it
1: that's interesting even the shuffle mode yeah right it's <laughs> a good
0: windows on the computer yeah. like you would go to the library mm-hmm. and find a book about right. you know Aboriginal painting from mm. Australia and whatever, you, you and know, you would look it, at right. that book and read it and it would tie some strings to other things. And yeah. now you just open about 50 windows on your desktop and you can, right. you know, it's like a, it's a yeah. different, it's like an explosion of information right. and visual information. And it's the classic argument of like, well, back then it was more concentrated. Mm. So you got a deeper understanding hypothetically, but mm. it was exclusive. Now it's like open, mm. yeah. but maybe it's thinner or more watered down i, I don't think, think it's, it's one too or the much other. you know
1: yeah yeah i mean we do what we do but i th- i think the idea that um there's so much to deal with is we we really don't know what to do with that right you know i mean I'm, i mean it, it i don't know if i'm saying it very well but whatever we have our roles and routines and our and way our lives are day to day but then when it comes to like free time or something it, it seems um not so clear yeah. as to what to do right yeah i mean there's many great things to do but
0: it, yeah I, I i think i think we're communicating <laughs> yeah yeah i agree <laughs> well i wonder too if it's In a way, it's it's interesting to be in a transition moment like that because, for people who grow up like for my kid when he grows up, I don't Mm. think he's gonna know any other. Right. He'll probably be able to navigate that exploded drawing of information better than us. Yeah. So maybe it's this evolution to an extent of evolution of of the way you experience information, which is basically our all art is just visual information that you're communicating. Like anything, getting from here to there, education, all of it is just information. You know, right. you're taking in stuff, and I think we're just taking it in differently, in a different speed, right? In a different intensity. Yeah. So you know, it's. I guess if you're like a big wave surfer, that right. big wave comes, you surf it. You know, you know that's all you know. Mm-hmm. If you're like me, I've been in the in the kiddie pool for like you know 20 years, and all of a sudden there's a tidal wave, and I don't know what the hell to do. <laughs> you know, right. I'm just like, what is all this? Stuff and like you're saying, I think navigating what to do when there's all those opportunities is yeah. that can can actually be like crippling or paralyzing in a way. It but could I think, be. Yeah. I think a gift of the get one of the gifts of making work and having a studio is you have that almost like a safe zone to go into and get mm-hmm. into your mind. Yeah. And turn everything off and just right. You know, make your work.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think ideally, one can try to not worry it so much and all these different things that are coming through us and surround us these days are useful in the studio Mm -hmm. you know and I guess then it's a matter of how one proceeds right you know whether you want to select or whether you want to see if you can you know, move through it with, with more intuition and try to include things that may not seem to make sense with each other. You know, all those things are studio kind of procedures and decisions as to, as to whether one feels like, okay, given everything that I am or that I've gone through and it's going on around me, this is my response, right. you know, and, it, and hopefully it's not fearful or, you know, too didactic or even too free you know it it has some traction that as 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 we might agree you know is entirely unprovable as as the appropriate manifestation of you know what we what we have to say how we interpret it all definitely that's what's that's what's so beautiful Mm -hmm. and wild about art is is it's made in so many different ways and um yeah there's literal responses that are sort of you know somewhat intelligible and mm-hmm. and other ones where we say, Wow, you know I, with all this stuff going on in the world, that's what you do right you know <laughs>
0: yeah definitely yeah yeah and i I think a good marker for a lot of art that has a significant impact of the time it's in is that it's kind of an unconscious, not hyper um, you know conscious of what it's doing it's almost mm. like you're just taking all this stuff in mm-hmm. and no matter what the range is that you're spitting it back out if it's truly kind of like mm. this cycle of taking in all this impetus and mm. stimulation and just getting it out in whatever way you can that's a really good representation of your time you mm-hmm. know what what you're seeing no matter whether it's you know you're painting Stripes, or right. you're painting gigantic cityscapes or whatever right. it is. But yeah. if you're really taking it in, it's going to have some sort of meaning to the time that you're making it in a way, which is always interesting. I and think so. when you walk around you know, the galleries and you see so much different work, but a lot of it feels relevant you know, to what we're living through, which is mm-hmm. interesting as well. It's mm-hmm. not like we have to distill everything down to this one style or movement yeah. for it to have some sort of impact. Yeah, And then maybe we just sort of analyze each artist on their own, kind of if that work feels like it's really interesting and visually Mm -hmm. stimulating and, you know, instead of it looks like this other work that now is a scene and that's the interesting stuff is in, you know, abstract process painting or hyper-realism or whatever Mm -hmm. it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I I don't think with style or even concept focused anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we'll take it anywhere we can get it. Yeah. Is, is what I think you're saying and I would agree with that. Yeah. You know, like we can like all sorts of different kinds of work because somehow they seem charged or alive mm-hmm. or vital or you know, I mean yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty strange.
0: I think music does it too mm. these yeah. days. Right. You see a lot yeah, yeah, of influence yeah, yeah. in popular music mm-hmm. and you know, it's if you hear a song and you're like, well, I just... That's not good because it has, like, metal as an influence, right. you know? It can yeah, today sure. as long as it's yeah good or people are interested in it, you know? So I think it's, it's opened things up in that sense. And what was the evolution of your work from when you got out of grad school to, like, you know, to now? Like, hmm. what were you making back then?
1: Grad school, I was... Um I was making a lot of paintings that didn't really have a, an image or an icon for a while. They were they were um a lot of them were muddy, you know, thick. They 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 implied like things or places because that's all I ever painted previously, but but they were more of a searching kind of try to figure things out physically without yeah. Without iconography or depiction per se, you know, and then, um, and then later on they moved into, I guess the first paintings that I, where I ever felt like, oh geez, I'm I'm sort of excited and vulnerable and you know, feels risky, which was um, a great feeling, you know, it was very new and different. Were these white paintings I made that had sort of um, somewhat of an Eastern kind of inflection of, like, you know, branches or, you know, quiet forms that were immersed in this sort of snowy, white kind of industrial ground. That mm-hmm. that's, that's when I first started getting back into some degree of, like, figure ground, and, like, um, what is this thing inside of this frame? You know, it started to get back towards yeah, imp- implied iconography, I guess I could say. And then it's pretty much been going on ever since, different kind of images or icons that I use. And and then uh, they exist in either simple or sometimes really complicated kind of worlds, grounds, places, you know. Mm-hmm. So creature, environment, thing, pet place, you know. Objects, space—you know—it's that's been the kind of dialogues I've been interested in.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and a lot of your work has a real visible process to it and Mm -hmm. time that you can see with the mark making and you know the way it's—they they they feel so dense in that. Mm -hmm. Um, Was that something that you were doing for a long time, or is that more recent?
1: You mean the. like the, the number of marks you mean, yeah. like how yeah. they how they've accumulated a lot mm-hmm. in certain cases. Um I wasn't doing that previously and then there's been a geez, I don't know, 10, 15 year period where they got really busy in a way. We're trying to deal with the busyness of the of the touches yeah. or have them be um, non busy experientially, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean that sort of happened at a certain point. I started. I mean, I'm really interested in a lot of decorative arts and always have been. And my wife's a weaver, mm-hmm. you know, fabric designer. So cloth and rugs and tapestries and ceramics, you know. And um, they've they've always weaselled their way into my work. You know, graphic interests. You know, from sports. You know, I always like gear and you know logos and trucks and uniforms and. So, like, the graphic aspect of of painting has always been some part of it for me. I guess that's probably why early on I liked someone like Leger, you know? Yeah. I mean, so I could relate to, wow, this is kind of exciting and very direct, but also kind of deep painting. Um, so it kind of creeped in, you know, and it slowed me down, like not having to make make a painting immediately, knowing that, okay, I can fill it up with energy, mm-hmm. with all those marks yeah. and things, you know? But it's a constant conversation, because now I'm back to making some works without all those marks that I want to be a bit more direct and exposed. Um, you know, I mean, while those marks carry energy and all that, sometimes I just don't want that. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's back and forth. But it, it was a long period of time with those complicated touches, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: And when you're working on paintings like that in the studio... Are you listening to, mm. I wonder, if, like I can imagine you listening to like uh, Zakir Hussain or something for mm. like an a hour and 40 minute long <laughs> song of percussion or something. A, l- a little bit like that. Yeah. Um,
1: who's just, I forget about a percussionist I l- listen to. Omar, I forget his last name, but um, yeah, something like that. But a lot of times it's just sort of like R&B uh, ballad singers or, um you know? Yeah. Um, a little bit of gospel here and there, mm-hmm. and, you know. Um, some some hip-hop here and there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes I'll just put on old stuff that I was listening to a long time ago, like people like Poco or, you know, um, I don't know, all sorts of groups that I used to love 10 years after. You know, I'll throw yeah. things on just to hear it again. but. right. But usually it's like a, an R&B mm-hmm. kind of singer. You know, I'm, 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 I'm really excited by singers, you know. I
0: love that because yeah. it's funny. Some artists just say they can't listen to words. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's it's got to be instrumental. Mm-hmm. And I can listen to anything while yeah. I'm working. It could be. Yeah. And it runs the gamut. Like, I, I like doing it. It almost keeps me on my toes in the studio where I'll just change it. Mm-hmm. From, you know, wh- I'll listen to hip-hop for a while and then I'll go to, like, Brazilian music and then I'll go to classical right. and just keep switching it to kind of gauge, mm-hmm. okay, am I feeling this vibe right now yeah. or do I need to change it? But yeah, yeah. some people are real strict about, like, if I'm listening to words mm. when I'm painting, it throws me out, like, my concentration mm. right. isn't there.
1: Yeah. I, I don't feel that way. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit like you. I can listen to lots of different things and it is an energy thing. Like I'll put on something that I think I want to hear, and then I'll immediately say, "Nah, that's not. not it's work. not. It's not going to be good right yeah. now." It's sort of like deciding what you want to
0: eat, I guess. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Right. It's temporal.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, do you go out to see live music a bunch?
1: Here and there. I mean, I. My cousin recently contacted me and said he had a ticket for me to go see Lauren Hill and Common. Wow At Radio City mm-hmm. Right And I'm familiar With both of them But never got deeply Into either of them mm-hmm. And I went to this concert Just a few weeks ago Pfft, Knocked me out Killed me Common is
0: yeah. so good And Lauren Hill Pfft. Both of them Incredible
1: Both of them Like took me Like to a place That I w- Was so Thankful to Get to Yeah I mean because Well the music Right And their voices And the the um, integrity of it, and the power of it, and the feeling of it, and then it's—it's it's not overstated, but the politic of it, you know, yeah. and, and the bringing us together with it, and you know, it was it was an amazing night, you yeah. know. I mean, Common went on first, and then Lauryn Hill went on after, and still very much alive in me as a source of great inspiration.
0: Yeah, that energy, you know? right? Oh man, it can just totally convincing.
1: You yeah i'm totally with it you know and before it was i would listen to it and really enjoy it but it kind of hit me in a deep way you know and yeah that's i guess what's uh
0: that's ideal yeah yeah those little moments i mean i just went to the art fairs this weekend Mm -hmm. and there were a couple i just saw a couple artists that i've never seen before yeah and it just made me excited you know it's like all i need yeah. Go out and see one live music show or one mm. art show where you're inspired and yeah. that can be fuel for a while. You know? Yeah. But yeah. it's so nice to see that it sort of be blown away, you know, or Yeah. And and after years and years of listening or seeing and that you could still feel that. I think gives you the the energy to just keep going, you know. I and mean, yeah. I think that happens in your own studio too. It's like you're constantly thinking about what you're working on and trying to make these changes and and it just never, it never stops. It just keeps mutating. That's know?
1: right. Yeah, and they're and they're seasoned, you know. Like so, it's clear their their devotion and commitment to, to to their language of music, you, you know, is so complete in a way. You know, mm-hmm. so so when they deliver, there you're getting like this fresh assault in a way of you know depth and vision and talent and courage and message, you know, and, and um and and you know that underneath that has been a, a a very kind of beautiful, stubborn, you know, focused commitment in an area which is what we as artists, you know, do, right? We yeah. we um we do it in a very kind of particular way, mm-hmm. right? And it's influenced by we're influenced by each other and all sorts of things, but it it's it's wonderful to see that and see what comes from that. You yeah. know, it, it's it's unrelenting in a way. You know, and um, so when they open up their mouths or even share a thought, you know, I guess I would say I pay attention. Yeah, definitely. You know? And 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 the musicians playing together and just the accumulated energy of it. You know, it's just. Uh, yeah, it's something, yeah. something to get on board with. Definitely. You know? yeah. And
0: it's so interesting, the difference between the performative connections that are made, because in music, it's such an immediate mm. thing, which, yeah. in my for my money, I think it might be the best thing in the world. I mean, because making art is great, yeah. but you perform it, and you make it, like, for me, the real love of making art is when I'm in the studio, mm. and I hit hour five, or whatever it is, and I'm just on that roll. Yeah. Where you could care less about anything else in the world. Like you're just in the moment. Yeah. And that's the money. Like that is the, <laughs> the, the real great feeling. It's almost yeah. like heaven or something. I don't know. It's like yeah. a, a great meditation. Mm-hmm. And, right. But that's separate from sharing the work with other people, which is a big part of making artwork. And I love talking about, obviously, talking to people about their work and seeing other work and, yeah. and, and reacting to other people seeing my work. But it's separate, mm-hmm. you know? And whereas music, you're in that moment and you're sharing you're like talking to people in real time and they're feeding off it and that's right. such a direct communication yeah that there's nothing else like that right and that's a, maybe a little more of a powerful drug in a way than that works so. a little more in you know introspective and mhm but um private to, yeah we I, look
1: at results when we look at art right yeah go ahead yeah, i kind of
0: know it's kind of like a like a statement You make a statement and other people analyze your statement and react to it, and then Mm. you can react to that. Whereas music is just, you know, singing together or something. It's Mm. like, yeah. You know. Yeah. But I used to be in a a side band. We played Mm -hmm. Latin jazz stuff. It was Mm. like not, you know, technically, you know, it was just for fun, you know. But we would do a lot of covers and. Yeah. We played Latin jazz stuff, but we would play these shows in New Haven at this dive bar, and Mm -hmm. there would be people dancing on tables, and it would go on for hours and hours. And it was nothing, nothing like that feeling. Yeah, right. And um, exactly. But having a band means you got to have other people. You got to sync up your schedules. You got to wait for the right time of night, and it's that thing too. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's just really. I think it's nice to have that dual experience to be able. But anyone can. Anyone can see work and see and listen to music and. Go out and see a show and yeah, either or mm-hmm. but it's inspirational, yeah. yeah, yeah yeah so what are you working on these days
1: working on two sort of groups, one is um small paintings of I guess a guy mm-hmm. and they're pretty straightforward and then I'm working on some ceramic sticks, I guess I would call them that um sit and. They're individual and they each sit in a holder and they're meant to be picked up and um, and I guess at some point put back down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't mean to be cryptic, but <laughs> um, yeah. that's what they do, yeah. you know. And um, previously I had made some other objects. They were glass with liquids inside and similar. They, they sit at rest and then when you pick them up and shake them, you know, there's action, and some of it's interesting, some of it's disappointing. There's mm-hmm. chemical reactions that happen inside of them. I mean, these are sort of cousins of those, but have a whole different demeanor and and um, life, I guess, that one could discuss. But and a lot of it's obvious for me. But um, but basically, that's the, the simple way to say it is. Yeah, they're these ceramic sticks, about a foot long, and um, maybe about an inch in um, diameter. Mm-hmm. They go in and out of the kiln many times. They get baked and vitrified and heated and sandblasted and reheated and come out as if they've lived a life and hopefully have some um, energy and spirit to them. I guess I would say. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And how did you get to you know making that? Like what what mm. sort of got you into that material to where? you know you started making that that work was it ceramics in general and you cuz you said you love ceramics
1: yeah i mean i i'm always making objects probably not as frequently as paintings but um i've made objects for a long time so th- these are part of that um specifically these probably have to do with um i don't know thoughts about how sometimes we are products of pragmatism or that which can be proven, you know, so art sort of often falls under that, you know, whether we want to be able to say things about work that seems convincing or helps us to think we understand it. Um, but, But I guess a while ago, but it stayed with me, you know, this idea that we don't really like to live inside of the unprovable right so whether it's God or you know um, what do you call it um, Santa Maria or ghosts or you know all of these areas we kind of as a culture shy away from or Mm -hmm. have doubts about or close the door on and you know offerings you know to rain or to nature you know all these things have always run through me and I've always envied like you know, situations where, or even fertility and birth, you know, we always look at that at best from a great distance and often not at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember thinking, wow, African sculpture becomes more interesting when people understand that Picasso right. had them around his studio and all that. But, but what, what, but, but even the idea of like an inanimate object, it's ironic, like, because we make art. Most of us, with the intention of our art having life in it, so mm-hmm. to speak, to be simplistic, yeah. but yet we don't really believe in the idea that, you know, an inanimate object can have a spirit or, you know, voodoo. You know, you, you know. Um, so, I guess, I guess, to not belabor all that, I would say that these works hopefully have something to do with that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah right. You know that it, that it's not just like oh, I really like your ceramics or I love your colors or, right. you know, I like the shape, you yeah. know, that maybe it all adds up to something that even if we can't f- explain it or fully trust it or know where we are, there's, there's a there there, you know, and, yeah. uh, and I'm trying to s- trust that and live in that and not fill it up, you know, so,
0: yeah. Yeah, and people can handle it and engage with it, you know, interact with it physically too. Yeah. There's a certain reality to that, you know.
1: Yeah, like if you had one on a shelf or on a desk or wherever, you know, you might pick it up every now and then, mm-hmm. you know, and you might, I don't know, you might like the weight of it, you might like how it feels in your hand, you might like what it looks like, you might like the surface, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Like, like some belief in the power of a physical condition, you know, which is, we know it gets... That idea gets kicked around a lot or beat up that, that, you know, that's amorphous and vague and unclear. And please, you know, guide me further in linguistic, right? you know, areas. Yeah. But
0: sometimes it's like, nah,
1: you know, well, check it out. Pick the it up. The beauty of
0: ceramics, you know. You know, yeah. You I can think. just handle it. And it's like an intimate relationship with this object. Like, you, it just becomes part of your life in a way, you know, which is always... Yeah. Drawn me to ceramics, mm. and it's you know, the there's just as much art in it, but there's the function of it, and there's the relationship mm-hmm. with the object, which is such a nice yeah. kind of thing that's that jumps out at you. I mean, you yeah. have a relationship with a painting too. You go look at it, you stand sure. in front of it, but yeah, there's something that right. that hits you whenever you grab it and you drink from it, or you yeah you know yeah. you're living with it on your mm-hmm. on your table or something. Yeah,
1: some are just a cup, we could say. Mm-hmm. And then maybe if we're lucky, every now and then, a, a, a particular cup has some more life to it, or more power, or more effect, or you know, every, when we drink out of something, it changes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The experience of drinking a liquid changes depending upon what we drink it out of. Yep. We don't think about it that much, but we know that, right? Yeah. You know which glass you wanna put it in, or which
0: ceramic cup or something how it feels in your hand exactly or yeah. the paper cup that dribbles every time with the hot coffee and it, <laughs> you really notice yeah. it? <laughs> like yeah. it Keeps right. dripping on my hand what the hell's going to, but yeah the cups they shape the way that you interact with that fluid for sure yeah. are you going to be doing because um, you have this one here that you're working on are you going to be doing more of these are they individual or are they
1: yeah s- they're individual um what we have right in front of us is just a lineup of them, but that's not the way I would probably... I don't know, but I don't know that that's the way I would want to have them have them seen. Um, but I've been firing them out at uh, school, at Queens College. Yeah. I've got probably another dozen of them. Um, half of them seem like they might be okay, and then mm-hmm. the others are still going through their... Uh, you know, stuff yeah. in, in and out of the kiln, and yeah, sanding and blasting them until they feel like they have something. But um, yeah, I think there's about twenty, twenty-five of them total. You know, at this point, mm-hmm. and um, and it's the second round of them. I did a round previously that were sort of not quite what I wanted, but a good start. You know, they were the glazes were glossier and the forms were bending more. I had to sort of figure out how to. Get them in the kiln without them bowing and you know there's yeah. some physical stuff but yeah i got them in, i got them in the in the on the playing field now
0: yeah yeah and um, do you have do you have yet a date or a place where you think you might w- going to be showing these or
1: not now I, I mean but i do want to in the near put future put them out yeah i i'd like to show these ceramics either by themselves or with um maybe Maybe with these small paintings, I don't know. They feel like they have some kind of relationship to each other. Yeah. You know. Well, there's
0: yeah. th- the scale of these paintings, all being looks like nine by twelve or eleven yeah, by fourteen. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's there's a rep- a repetition to that. The rhythm. Yeah. A rhythm, the yeah. lines and stripes, and the rhythm of yeah. and this is rhythmic, and it all mm-hmm. they almost look mm-hmm. like they could be sort of like sticks that you could like percussive tools in a way. Yeah. So there's a nice relationship between those two things too.
1: I could see one of these um, sticks In front of a Like one for each painting or something I mean it could be that explicit Right You know Yeah
0: Yeah No it's really interesting I can't wait to see it all together (laughs) Me too So um For people who are interested in your work Where's the best Mm. place for them to see your work
1: Hmm Now I don't have a um Sort of Representation kind of affiliation Mm -hmm. Um so I That's a good question I sort of hide a little bit Even though yeah. I'm out there too You know I'm somewhere in between Being out there and hiding all Yeah the there's time, a bit of mystery you
0: know? When you look online To figuring out exactly where Where am I? Where in are a, you? That's sure. a good thing sure <laughs> in, in this day and age I think a little mysterious side Is nice
1: <laughs> Yeah I mean My trajectory Like many Is not logical You know You sort of But I mean I I um I guess tracking me down, you know, Mm -hmm. is best until I have another show. I mean, there's not a lot of work sitting in a in a gallery. There's a couple of small paintings in a couple of different spots, but nothing substantial, you know, at the moment. Um, And uh, a lot of the work's out of town now. I've got a thing in D.C. and um, but yeah, it's not a gallery I could send anyone to. Maybe it would just be like. Next time I'll put out the word that I've got some work out and I'm here if anyone has any interest in me. <laughs>
0: well, I'm, yeah. I feel lucky that I was able to come in and, and check out this new stuff and be able to talk yeah. to you for a while. So Same. thanks a lot for having me over.
1: My pleasure. It was great, great, talking to you. great to meet you and talk and see you down the road for sure. Sounds good. I appreciate good. it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Brian.
0: can find images of the artist's work studios and exhibitions on the podcast website soundandvisionpodcast.com the introduction narration and music was provided by michael lovett of Nazca lines all other music was made by Lullatone, based out of nagoya japan sound and vision is produced edited recorded and organized by myself brian alfred you can find more about my work at paintchanger.com thanks for listening